It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. 3-1 pitch, swung on, belted, left center field, high in the air. Back goes Pollock toward the wall, takes a look, and out it goes for Matt Chapman. His first long ball of the year. A welcome sight indeed. The A's back within a run. They trail 3-2. And it's swung on, lifted to center field. That's by Taylor. And the A's have cashed in their first win of 2021. Mitch Moreland with a clean single to right center. He scores Marquetta. The A's come all the way back. They beat the Dodgers 4-3. And finally, elation, handshakes, and smiles for the Athletics as they get their first victory of 2021. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, thank God. I mean, I mean if if uh, if that was another loss, I, I I really have no idea what this show would have been like today, what the post game show would have been like today. I mean, if anybody was due, it was the Oakland Athletics. And I love the way they won the game. A lot of different guys had to contribute. A lot of guys had to step up in a pressure situation. And you can't tell me that this wasn't weighing on them a little bit by the way they celebrated after the game. You can't tell me. I mean, that that a walk-off win is nice, but you could see on their faces it meant a heck of a lot. Chris Russo, the Mad Dog, is going to be here in a couple minutes. Ray Fossey at 6 o'clock and Steve Sparks at 6.30. Mitch Moreland, his seventh career walk-off hit. Remember, the A's led Major League Baseball last year. Six walk-off wins, and they had six wins in extra innings. A good day all around for the A's. And you look up, Commander, they're just four and a half games back. So as bad as it was... I mean, you go in and have a good series against Houston, and then you take on the D-backs. I mean, by next week, we could be forgetting this tough start. Yeah, I agree with you. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm looking through the standings right now. I don't think we have a winless team in baseball anymore. As the A's win today, the Braves have won two in a row as they won a a nail-biting doubleheader against the Nationals. So big win for the A's. Trevor Bauer, though, man, did he look good pitching for the Dodgers today. Uh, it, it Again, it's weird that you and I are looking at each other through a computer screen again. We're back to this for a few days, but 
uh, watching Bauer on TV, man, he was electric. And Jesus Lazardo after the first inning, he pitched really well too. I know he had 35 pitches in the first inning, but they got his way through 100-plus pitches in five and a third after a really rocky first inning. That was good to see from your, your young 23-year-old left-hander. So a lot of building blocks from today's win for the A's. I know they're one in six, and but the, as you said, they're only four games back. So And you're going to play Houston, the best team in the division, and you're not getting to see uh, a future Hall of Famer on the mound. No offense to Lance McCullers and Urquidy and uh, Christian Javier. So you're going to miss Granke on this trip. So if you can split this series, you're right back in it still really, really early in 2021. And then you go play the, uh, the Diamondbacks who are – they're not bad, but they're not great either. Well, and then we got to figure out what's going to happen with Trevor Rosenthal. I mean, if he has the surgery, I don't know much about it. Not many guys have had it. Uh, I saw CBS Sports came out with a report that they're saying it's like 12 weeks. And then after that, you start throwing. And the good thing about a reliever, which is far different than a, a starter, you know, a starter, you got a pace. I mean, relievers come back from the DL a lot faster, and they can be back helping you a lot faster than a starter. So, and then by that point, who knows? You know, force Billy Bean and David Force Hand to to play well, and maybe make a deal to go get a reliever. And I was saying in the post game show, I think at this point, Lou Trevino is going to play a big part. And what the A's are going to do at the back of the bullpen with Jake Diekman. I Because I just don't see Diekman as you're saying, this guy's our closer. I think you're going to play it by matchups. We asked David Forst about that. And uh, and the bottom line is, I think that's what's going to be. It's going to be closing by. Hey, it's Chris Townsend with the A's. Hi, buddy. How are you, Jay? Well, just want to introduce you to our, our fan base. This guy is the greatest sports stark radio host that we've ever had. He's a Hall of Famer and, of course, the host of High Heat on MLB Network. The great Chris Russo, the Mad Dog, is with us. How are you, Mad Dog? Christopher, baby, how you doing, pal? Things good? What do you have for me today? Today was like Game 7 of the World Series for the A's. My God, did we need a win. Oh, boy, oh, boy, you sure did. Got a run in the ninth inning. Uh, then you get the run by hit by Moreland. That was a huge win. Tough schedule to start the year. Pitching's been bad. Going to Houston won't be easy. You had a you needed this game in the worst way. I mean, you almost were going to match the worst start in the history of the A's. That was a very, very, very important win. I felt the same. I know I didn't. I didn't follow it too carefully today. I mean, I knew they were losing three two. I then I saw they won in the extra innings. That was a must get for the A's. Uh, they've been out of. They've been basically out of every game in the sixth inning. Uh, they needed this one today. I 100% agree. They're getting bad news out of Rosenthal, which you don't like. Uh, this is a uh, you know they could be going down. A, they could be. You know the A's could be in the process of having a bad year. I mean, uh, you know sometimes it just it it doesn't fire for you. I'm not ready. To, I'm not ready to say that yet. But you know, Owen six. One and six sounds a lot better than 0 and seven. So that's a good step for you today, Chris. No question about it. Long way to go, but a good step. When I'm bringing up 1916 and Connie Mack, you know it's not good. Yeah, that's a good point. 100%. <laughs> when you're doing that, you know you. And that's right. That's when Connie Mack sold his great teams. You know, Connie Mack had the two great runs with the A's. 
the late 20s. And then, of course, in that period there in 1912, 1913, and the Federal League broke up his team. So, uh, you know, and there was a scenario where the A's were on their way. This is a very, very, very important win. Now, going to Houston's played great. You just saw them last weekend. You know, they've scored a million runs. That will be their home opener. It'll be a hard series, but, you know, just get a, you know, win one at least. Love, is it a three-game or a four-game series? Three-game series? It's a three-game series, and we got an off day on Sunday, which is weird. No, it is strange. Yeah, back-to-back off days. A lot of teams had last Sunday off. You know, the uh, Marlins and the Rays had last Sunday off. Uh, a lot of there's somebody else that had last Sunday off. So uh, something different with the Sunday off. But, uh, you know, get a game at least. Don't get swept. Get a game at least and sort of regroup a little bit. Hard schedule for the A's playing the Astros, Dodgers, and Astros. That's a tough way to start the year. Well, I got to tell you, the win today, a lot of different guys contributed. And you could see after the game how everybody felt the big relief. And there's something like games like this that can kind of propel you when everybody starts to get on track and feel good about themselves. So we hope that's going to happen. And, Chris, I got to tell you, the one thing, this this Dodger, obviously they've won the division eight straight years. They won the World Series. But they have such a problem with the back of their bullpen. To me, if they, if they had a good bullpen, I think they could have a Yankee-like run like 98, 99, 2000. It's just they just have such a hard time closing games out. Well, I remember, too, Chris, though, when they get into the big game later in the year, especially in October, they won't have Jansen close the game. They will put one of their starters, Eurasis, they will put him back in a bullpen like they did last year. So they will put him, and he bailed them out last year on two or three occasions. They can put one of their starters in the bullpen in a big spot, and they won't have to rely on Jansen. Furthermore, they make a trade in July to get the best relief pitcher. So that's a problem that will bother them throughout the year and they'll lose an occasional game like today because of it, but they're going to win the division by 30 games. So from that standpoint, it's not going to be too harmful. And then when they get into the crucible of their season, which begins October 1st, that is when they have their bullpen somewhat modified and corrected. So you can pick them off occasionally in the regular season because of it, but in October, I'm not sure you can. Last year, they lost one game because of it with Tampa in game four but they still won a championship and they will not have Jansen close with the season on the line. So keep that in mind in that spot. They will change it. You know, we all love Dusty Baker. He's, he's a, he's a wonderful man and and everything that he's done in his career. But recently when he was complaining about guys getting booed, guys getting yelled at, and he said that their guys have paid the price I know it didn't sit well with our fan base. It didn't sit well with the Angels. How'd you feel about Dusty Baker's comments? Well, here's what I would say about the the A's, the A's and the Angels fans. Stop booing the Astros because you're fueling them. Leave it alone. That motivates them. They just went five and one on a road trip. They killed the Twins last year. They buried the A's and they almost beat Tampa. That uh, they got a lot of hot. They got a lot of young guys in that team still. Bregman. Altuve, Alvarez, obviously Correa. Uh, that's a winning team. That's a, Now, listen, I'm not making excuses for them, but it's a winning team, and it's a winning franchise. And I think they take – they love the fact right now that they're hated. I think it gives them a big chip on their shoulder. 
and I think in a long run it hates them. It, it fuels them. So I actually think, you know, the A's booed them for four days and they got swept and they scored about 50 runs. I think you're almost a little better off leaving them alone and just letting, you know, letting them sleepwalk through a series. They went nuts last week and so did the Angels and the Angels barely won a game and they went nuts last week and, you know, they did pretty much absolutely nothing, Oakland, that week. I think you're doing everything. The American League West is doing the Astros a favor by riling them up on a day-in, day-out basis. I really do. I think that's a great point because, you know, you know the difference between what we saw last year and what we're seeing this year, Chris? They've got their swagger back. There seems to be. I don't love their starting pitching. Uh, I don't love that they could use some pitching. I mean, I got young pitchers and, you know, I mean, Odorizzi and, you know, obviously Granke's pitched well so far. I don't love their pitching. But they, they got a good offensive team. I mean, they got a good third baseman. They got a good infield. Alvarez helps Kyle. Tucker's very good. Brantley came back. That's a good offensive team. And, you know, they're going to be the team. They're still the team to beat in the division. I don't care anybody says. They're still the, I got to see the Angels pitch for the whole period, of the, for the whole year. The A's are already in a big hole. Seattle and Texas aren't winning anything. So I, I still think they are the team to beat in the American League. And I just think you should leave well enough alone. Um, and the Yankees are the best team in the you know the Yankees are not the great Yankees, but the Yankees I still think are the best team in the league. But I think everybody is you know looking up at the Dodgers, who are by far the best team. I think the Dodgers are the best team in the sport. I think they're going to win well over 100 games. They'd be tough to beat in the postseason, no question about it. Yeah, we just saw it. I mean, the the depth that Dave Roberts has. It gives them the ability to give guys off days to keep them fresh. Uh, they're very, very, they're very, very talented. You know, the biggest controversy we got on our sport is moving the all-star game out of Atlanta to Denver. Uh, what is your opinion on that? Uh, the uh, commissioner had no choice. He had to do it. Uh, not because of the, you know, whatever his politics are, but he had to do it because he could not take a chance in July that there would be a boycott of the game, uh, you know, led by Mookie Betts or Stanton or Judge or whomever. He could not take that chance. You can't have an all-star game in Atlanta and then have all your players not show up. That would have been an absolute disaster. I think he knew that and had to make sure he got ahead of it. So I have no problem whatsoever with him moving a game. I know people are annoyed by it, but he did it to protect his sport because he could not guarantee that players would have been there. Players would have had a lot of pressure. Uh, don't forget, the All-Star game is right up against the NBA Finals this year in July. You know, Lakers, Nets, Harden, LeBron, Durant, you know, doing the social justice stuff and, you know, being very together and the media on their side, rightfully so, and baseball is playing an All-Star game in a, in a city that a lot of people think, or in a state that came up with restrictive voting laws. Now, I don't forgetting what I feel about it, I'm just talking about it from a commercial standpoint and a business standpoint. Rob could not take that chance. So he's taking a bullet now. You knew he would take a bullet. I'm sure he knows that he'd take a big bullet, but it's something that he had to do uh, going to cut. Now, he went to Colorado because Colorado was in the uh, was in the plans of a future All-Star game. They had already been well under the way with their presentations. They already had, you know, set their plans together for down the road and you know they kind of had a feel of how to flow an all-star game and in a short period of time of only three months 
I think he probably felt that they were a little better equipped to handle this than, say, Milwaukee. So I think that's why he went to Colorado, too. That explains that. A lot of people are annoyed that he went to Colorado. That also has, I guess, some of the restrictive voting scenarios. But that's the reason. But it's something that he had to do. Do I, do I necessarily agree with it? Who cares what I think? From a business standpoint, I think it was the right move for the commissioner. I really do. On opening day, I'm driving to the ballpark and I'm listening to you on XM and you made some great points. And speaking of the business of baseball, you're talking about how opening day, it's so important. But, you know, baseball's lost a lot of fans and they need to be smart with everything they do to try and build that fan base back up. 100 percent. Now, they're going to lose some fans here, too, because, you know, it's right down the middle on this on this issue. You know, you got half the fans who love it and half the fans who think it's terrible. I've heard all the I, I the calls today. I got a lot of fans telling me, geez, what a joke. I'm never going to a game again. You know, fans are going to go to the games. What you have to do now if you're a sports fan, Chris, you have to separate things off the field and just concentrate on the field. You, you can't get that worked up. Uh, if you don't like some of the uh, actions, you got to leave it alone. It's still sports. You got to enjoy it from a sports perspective. When they whistle, when, when, the, uh, when, the, when the game starts, it's still a game. And that's how you have to approach it. If you're going to sit there and quibble about what people say, what they do, league stances on certain things, uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to drive yourself crazy. You, you really got to look at it just from a sports perspective. That's what I'm trying to do, not get too wrapped up in all the outside stuff and just concentrate on the sports. But I do understand from Manfred's perspective, I do get a good feel of why I made why, why I made. Now, listen, I got some issues with baseball. I can bring up a lot of issues that I don't like. I, I see a lot of hypocrisy with this and other things. But as far as this specifically is concerned, I understand why baseball did it. I really do. You know, my biggest issue is the length of games starting out this year is completely out of hand. We've been having four-hour games. We're averaging well over three hours, 20 minutes a game. You and I love this game, but how do we speed it up? Because right now, you're not going to get kids sitting through three hours and 40 minutes of baseball. What are we going to do? 100% right. This has been a problem now for a while. Not as bad in the postseason because the games mean something. But think about it for a second. Uh, Kansas City and Texas, in the opening game of the year, they did not play the bottom of the ninth inning. 14-10 was the final. It took four hours and 26 minutes. If that was Chiefs-Cowboys at Arrowhead, uh, five feet away from Royal Stadium in the same parking lot, game would have been over in three hours. They play 16 games. The Royals play 160, 162. That's all you need to know. The Texas-Kansas City opening day game took four hours and 26 minutes and they play 162 games. Chiefs and Cowboys, now they're going to play 17, play 17 games. It takes three hours. That's all you, that tells you what you need to know. Uh, the pitch clock, you like to see it. People stepping out of the batter's box, you like that controlled. Uh, the parade of relievers is a, is a disaster. A great pitcher taken out after five innings. Aaron Nola today was leading the Mets 4-1 after four innings, came out after four. He's this. He's the race. I know it's his second start of the year. That's ridiculous. Jo- Jacob Grom, the, an opening day for the Mets two days ago, 76 pitches taken out after six innings. When you do that, 
and you bring in a bunch of relief pitchers, games slow up. But the pace of the game is a major problem in a sport. There's no question about it. Major can't, problem. Can't DeGrom with his cachet look at look at that? I'm not coming out. Like if I'm taking DeGrom, I, I'm I'm fighting everybody who wants to take me out of that game. I think he would have in a, in a, in a you know in, a, in September. I think it's April 5th. They had a five. They had like a week layoff because of COVID. Uh, it's the first game of the year. Uh, I, it's a new manager. Don't forget, Rojas basically just got there. So I, I think he's trying to be a little. Um, I think he's trying to you know be somewhat accommodating. I think if that's September, you know he is a little more forceful about staying in the game. But it's so early in the season, he takes himself out. But he took him, you know, it was 77 pitches. And, you know, when Aaron Ola comes out of the game today, now he struggled in the fourth inning, but he came out of the game today after four innings. I mean, and then you're bringing in nine relievers to get you know, the, the next 15 outs. No wonder the game takes four and a half hours. It's a problem. Baseball's got to, you know, who knows what the solution is. Uh, less relief pitching, people not stepping out of the batter's box, a pitch clock, more balls in play not taking 20 pitches in a bat, that would go a long way to speed up the process. Let's end on this. You got the TV show. You got your show on Sirius XM that covers all sports. Just how do you, how do you cover baseball and then what you do on your satellite show where you cover all sports? It's just trying to figure out how you're able to cover all this. It's truly amazing. Well, what I try to do, sometimes baseball helps me, the TV show, because there are occasional days, maybe 10, in which I'll do the same monologue because baseball is the lead story in sports. So that actually helps me. And the other thing that helps me is that there's so few talk show hosts now, nationally in TV, radio, that do baseball. Baseball is not part of the national discussion they're not part of the national conversation for a variety of reasons. A lot of young hosts, they don't know that much about the sport. They don't know anything about the history of it. Joe DiMaggio, they've never heard of. Mickey Mantle, they have no idea who he is. And so as a result, since I do so much of it, I think it actually helps me. Uh, but, you know, baseball has its moments where, you know, you're going to talk about it in October. You're going to talk about it a few times in July. You're going to talk about it opening day. You'll talk about a little bit in March, maybe at the trading deadline, but you are still going to talk about football. You're still going to talk about college football more so than you're going to talk about baseball. But, you know, that doing the baseball show every day on TV, it actually helps me for the radio because I, I wouldn't probably follow baseball as closely as I have to if I didn't have to do the TV show. And that, in, in theory, that helps me do baseball better on the radio. So. In essence, it helps me some. Uh, you know, nobody's going to call me tomorrow on the Pelican Nets game. Uh, you know, but I'll get calls on you know some certain things in baseball right now this time of the year. You know, the college is over, college basketball is over, so baseball has got a little window here without a lot going on before the draft. It's in the NFL draft. It's got a little window here to make a little noise first couple weeks of the season and everything else. And baseball has been in the discussion the last few days because of this All Star game. So in essence, it kind of helps baseball, puts it on the puts it on the map a little bit, and you know as a result that helps me because I got to cover it every day. Well, I got to tell you, you know how much you mean to this program. We always appreciate your time. You're an icon in our business. Thank you so much for coming on. Be safe, be well, and let's talk soon. Good job, Chris. Anytime, pal. Appreciate it. Thanks Take very much. Care. 
the great Mad Dog, Chris Russo. He's just not a, it's not Sports Radio Hall of Fame, Cody. He's a radio, all-around radio Hall of Famer. There's, uh, not a lot of, there's not a lot of sports talk guys in the radio Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's true. And I just text Fossey, uh, sorry, I just text Ray to call in so he knows the call. I told him we might go a little longer with Mad Dog, and I sent the same thing to Sparksy. I said, uh, Ray's coming on before you, so I'll tell you when the call because sometimes Ray and Chris go a little long. So no, <laughs> I was thinking about having Sparksy call in at the end of Fossey's segment and just have them two inter- interact, which would be funny too. Um, but yeah, Mad Dog, Mike and the Mad Dog. I mean, I yeah, never saw much. the I never saw the thirty for thirty, but I know how popular it was and I know how popular they were. And yeah, when they do a thirty for thirty on us. Uh, well, I mean, we, we got an, we got a little pub today. Yeah, you got an article written about you. I started reading a little bit of it. I retweeted it on Twitter to my like thirteen hundred followers. But I mean, still, there's a lot of people that like what we do, and it's impressive. So I'm hoping that uh, more people will read the article and find out more about what you do. Plus, Eric Burns is mentioned in the article. Another former Burnsy. A. We haven't had Burns on in a while. We've only had him on I think once before. He's a hard guy to track down. He's always running marathons yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Ray Fossey, you were hilarious today. Why, Tony? Well, you could just you could just tell you were you were a little agitated with this losing streak, and Kite brought it up, and it's like, yeah, we all. I mean, basically, how you were feeling today, we're all feeling that, and it was just like it was like we're tired of it. We're tired of bad baseball. We're tired of watching long. Long bad baseball is even worse than bad baseball. But you know what, Ray? I think today this win, with how many guys contributed and how many guys kind of maybe got their mojo back, I think – don't you think this is the type of game that can propel you for the rest of the season? Against the Los Angeles Dodgers, I agree 100%, Tony. And, and you know, something that I did mention late, well, there, there are a couple of things. I've, I've always been a huge believer that – in this case, in the top of the ninth inning, you don't want to give the Dodgers an extra run because Kenley Jensen, as long as he's closed, I still think he's the type of pitcher who could cough it up and at least tie the game. As it turned out, that's what happened. He walked a couple of batters. But if you think about it, going back to last night, why did he come in in a four-run game when it was not a save situation? You have Blake Trinan on the mound, so he puts a runner on, and then all of a sudden, it's like Blake Snell last year in the World Series. Take him out and bring in Kenley Jansen. And when you have a day game after a night game, who knows how much that might have affected Kenley Jansen today, but the bottom line, the A's did not give them an extra run in the ninth inning. And, and to your point about Lou Trevino and just what, what guys did to shut them down, I think was important. And then the A's tied it and ended up winning. It just like Petit, the same thing. When Lux came up in the 10th inning of that time, or the extra inning game, he tried to pull a pitch outside. When you're trying to advance a runner, you automatically think about pulling the ball. Well, if you're being pitched outside, why do it? Why not go to the opposite field? You know, you may not drive him in. You're going to get the third. You're going to put yourself on base. But when he tried to pull the outside pitch, he gets the weak fly ball in center field. And then all of a sudden, that changes everything. So I think it was a well-played game by the athletics. And this was the first game in the first six. Now, in the first six games, the A's went in the ninth inning, trailing, trailing twice by four runs. The rest of them, forget it, 9-1, 9-2, even more. So today, because it was a one-run game, the A's were able to do that. 
Now, Tony, going back in the early 2000s when the A's were playing the Minnesota Twins, I love Eddie Gardado, everyday Eddie Gardado, but Gardado seemed to be the type of pitcher that if you kept him close, he was going to make it interesting and save in a game. He saved a lot of games, and he was outstanding. But I remember a game specifically, an elimination game, Billy Koch gave up a three-run home run to A.J. Pruszynski in the top of the ninth inning. Bottom of the ninth inning, and this is, you know, I think it made it a four-run game. In the bottom of the ninth inning, Mark Ellis hit a three-run home run. So, bottom line, you're back to that one run, and the Twins ended up winning it. But if you don't give insurance runs in that top of the ninth inning or the bottom of the eighth inning, depending where you are, then you have a better chance to at least tie the game. The A's did that today. It was a great comfort behind victory. I think what the A's did, and you mentioned it in your post-game show, and we talked about it, the three runs, the Dodgers score via the walk and the hit batter. They did not have a legitimate run. If you think about it, they were gift runs. And the A's with Matt Chapman hitting the home run, making a one-run game, and then Chappie leading off the ninth inning with a base hit, ultimately getting it over. Ramon Laureano, the, the Ricky run, I happened to see Ricky after the game. I said, hey, Ricky, did you see, you see Laureano? It's like a Ricky run. He laughed, you know. But it was, it was true. It was true because – and see, I said, Tommy, also, why don't more guys do what Laureano did? He's at second base. They're basically giving him third. And as it turned out, Turner stayed at shortstop. Uh, Laureano able to get down the line. And he scores on the really the close or the, the short wild pitch. Smith did his job, but because Mariano's at third with a big lead, he's able to score, and that turned out to be a huge run as well. So all little things happened for the Athletics today to help them win the game, and I think it's going to propel them. Uh, you know, like you said, a happy flight to Houston. They're going to play the Astros and then the Diamondbacks, and then back to the Coliseum. So today was huge, and especially doing it against the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, Ray, you've seen, you've played on, and you've seen some of the greatest teams of all time. When you look at this Dodger roster, I mean, these guys have won their division eight straight years. They've now won the World Series. I mean, you can't take the bullpen out of it. Is this one of the best rosters you've ever seen? It's the best, it's the best money can buy. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, money is not an object to the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, when the new ownership took over, remember when they would make trades? Uh, to get guys and then release them, they had a payroll of released players in excess of $50 million. You know, really, they're the, they're the New York Yankees on the West Coast, essentially. So, yeah, they, I mean, to sign Trevor Bauer to a $40 million annual contract, and then you already have Kershaw, and oh, by the way, you put your $32 million uh, David Price in the bullpen. And, and like I said, when Price was pitching the other night, when that trade was made, there's no doubt the Red Sox said, we'll give you bets but you got to take David Price. And you think about the money that Price was owed with his huge contract, and then Beth signs a long-term deal, and, and here's David Price in the bullpen. And, uh, you know, but, but like, like uh, Chris Russo was telling you, he's, and, and I agree with him, that as the season progresses, Kenley Jensen's not going to be the closer. They're going to be able to go out and, and get somebody on, from a team that maybe is going to be out of it. They have a good closer, and, and they can do whatever they want. They can, they can buy the player. They can trade for the player. Money's not an object. And I think if you can do that, then you're going to be outstanding. They have a great team, but, and it's, it's one of those swag teams like we talked earlier this morning 
you know, guys have their shirts unbuttoned. They got the, all the chains and all that stuff, and they're having a great time. Well, a game like today, maybe it's something that they can think about saying, maybe, maybe we're a little short in something. We run up and get good pitching. And speaking of pitching, and I hate to ramble on, but, you know, something came to mind in talking about Trevor Bauer, how well he pitched. But when Jesus Lazardo struggled in the first inning, then he settled down and retired those batters, and he had 98 pitches in the fifth inning. I looked down, and nobody was warming up in the bullpen. Jesus was in the dugout, had his jacket on. I said, great. They have an off day Sunday. They have an off day on Wednesday. He's going to get at least one extra day. And granted, it's just his second start, but why not send him back out? Bob Melvin did end up taking him out. But at least he gave him the opportunity to pitch the sixth inning, whereas in the past, we've seen, boom, you're gone. 98 pitches, not even going to take a chance. Man, I would have loved to see Ray Fossey with, like, three to four buttons undone, a couple <laughs> gold rope chains, hitting a home run and watching those chains bounce off your chest in the 70s. Oh, that would have been awesome. But, Tommy, if I had done that, which, as I told you earlier, I didn't make enough money to buy the heavy chains. <laughs> but if, if, if I had done that, my next at bat, I would have been brushing myself off because there's no way – I mean, uh, I mean, as it turned out in, in, in my era, and, and I know a lot of people listening can probably relate to this. If if I hit a home run, the guy behind me gets hit. And then when I come up, I get hit also. And so it's one of those, you hit a ball, you put your head down, and you run. And you get to home plate, and you run in that dugout as quickly as possible. You do not want to upset the guy on the mound. And if you take your time going around the bases with your shirt unbuttoned and the chains popping around, <laughs> you're going to get drilled, man. You're going to get drilled. And, and, you know, it just doesn't happen that way nowadays. But uh, still, a, a very well-played game today. And I think that's something that, you know, they could they could live on. You said it best. The A's picked up a half a game. And they have a good series against the Astros and then into Arizona and come back to Coliseum. It is early in the season. Get in the first one out of the way, just like Chappie today with the home run and the base hit. I think he's going to start turning it around. Great play at third base, a couple of great defensive plays. Moreland getting the big hit. Andrus tying the game with the sack fly. You know, Kemp laying down a bunt with, with nobody out of the ninth inning. You know, all good things for the athletics, and I think that's something that's going to help them going forward. You know, the mindset of a professional athlete, when you go see a specialist and surgery's on the table, and I know you and I have talked about this before, is you've had multiple surgeries. You've had surgery during the season. You know, I mean, if you could give advice to Trevor Rosenthal, what would it be? Tony, I've always thought, and, and you know, I, I look back to 1970 when I had, there was this collision at home plate and stupidly I played because I was told I was okay. I couldn't lift my arm above my shoulder. Fast forward to when I was with the Cleveland Indians and Rick Manning, outstanding center fielder, had a bad back and he wanted to play. I said, Archie, Why? I said, who are you hurting? You're hurting yourself, number one, but you're hurting the team because you cannot play the way you're capable. I think for players today, if they get uh, have a surgery in the, in the season, obviously it's devastating for the club, it's devastating for the player, but if you have a specialist, a doctor who says, okay, these are your options. See, I think with Tatis, they're trying to milk that, and, and you know, if he's going to need surgery, they're going to give him 10 days to try to get well. But if that keeps popping out, his shoulder keeps popping out, what good is he going to do? He signed a 14-year contract. But if they try to bring him back and it gets worse because he does play 
and then something else happens, and then they have to go in, and it's more uh, more of a problem than initially, you know. So I think what's happened, with Trevor Rosenthal, if the surgery happens and it looks like it might, and he misses time, then that's part of it. The thing that that at least Trevor Rosenthal was was able to, and, and the A's were fortunate that he spread out his three-year contract. It's almost like deferred money. So, you know, it's not the big hit in one year. It's spread out over three years. But in the case of Tatis, you know, you know, we talked about, can they guarantee that? I don't know if guarantee, I'm not guaranteed, but if, can you insure a contract like they used to? I, I don't know if it's feasible. So maybe when you talk to David Force tomorrow, maybe ask him about that, Connie, because with all the huge contracts, can those players be insured? And is it feasible for the insurance policies and the cost, which is horrendous, very high? But, uh, you know, how does that work? And I think that's something that uh, if I had a chance to talk to, to David, I would ask him that specific question because those are important questions, especially with the high uh, salaries of certain players. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But you know what? If, if, if the, the biggest thing, I remember when Eric Chavez had back surgery or, or had a back issue, and he ended up having surgery. And um, he said, you know, boss, he said, I don't feel the same. And I said, you know what, Shavi, God gives us a perfect body whenever we're born. But once you're cut on, your, your body changes forever. And you have to overcome that between your ears. You have to overcome that because you have, if you have surgery, there's a reason. And you're going to be able to come back and be strong. But if you're mentally done by thinking, okay, I had surgery, I'm finished. No, you're not. I mean, I'm a, and I, I told him, I said, look at me. I've had knee surgeries and fingers and shoulders and all kinds of surgeries, you know, but you keep going and maybe you will not be able to play up to the, the part of when you were playing when before surgery, but that doesn't mean your career is over because if you believe that you're coming back from the surgery and you're hundred percent, then you can continue your career. But if between your ears, you think I'm done, you're going to be done. And that's, that's in any walk of life. And, you know, it's between the ears and, and believing that whatever you're doing, you're going to be the best at what you're doing. And, and you know, Xavi didn't have the top of years after he had surgery. And let's just hope if Rosenthal has the surgery and he can't pitch, uh, there are still guys that even before he was acquired that I thought were viable uh, possibilities for the closing role. And you mentioned them today in Dickman and Trevino. And, and, you know, you kind of mix and match. You don't have a, a true closer, kind of like the Tampa Bay Rays. That's 13 different players with, uh, with Sage. So uh, you, you do what you have to do. And, and again, you, you made the best statement. Nobody feels sorry for a team that has injuries because injuries are part of the game of baseball and nobody's going to feel sorry for you unless it's your own fans and your own team. But still, you have to overcome that and play the game because, you know, you're going to play 162. And let's just hope that's the case. You know, I was thinking about it, Ray, because CBS Sports put out an article about this right, right as I was doing the postgame show. And they said... You know, you have the surgery. It's 12 weeks. I'm thinking, okay, midsummer. And the thing about a reliever, it's easier to rehab and start throwing and get back into games as a reliever than it is a starter. Because you got to, like, pace the guy every five days. So I just – there could be a possibility Trevor Rosenthal could be back and potentially could help this team. No, I agree 100% and exactly what you said, because a reliever is not on a five-day rotation plan. And a reliever can build up his arm strength 
And, you know, maybe he doesn't have – well, he's mostly probably going to throw it an inning anyway. And so how many pitches is he going to throw? So it's not like you have to build up to 100 to be a starter. You can build up to whatever you feel necessary to be strong. The key is to be healthy, and once that starts, then – or once you get healthy, then start the throwing program. It's not like a Tommy John surgery where you have to gradually build into or build up the arm strength and make that first throw and the whole thing like that. But, uh, no, you're exactly right. A reliever does not take as long. Position player doesn't take as long. It's the starting pitcher who has a major surgery that takes the most because the guys go to spring training early to build up their arm strength. And just like last year, the unfortunate shutdown of spring training because of COVID, those guys essentially got in shape in the offseason to start the season or start spring training, and then they shut down. And while they may have thrown – during that period of time in which they were off before spring training point two came up in July, that's still a lot of missed time. And you have to be disciplined enough to believe that eventually we're going to play again and, and start throwing. But um, that would be great. I mean, I always feel, Tony, and I'm sure you do as, as a baseball person, that if you can get somebody back of that magnitude by the trading deadline, it's like you've made a fabulous trade. And then that person is strong going down the stretch in postseason to where if healthy, in the case of Trevor Rosenthal, who has the ability to close because he has that in his resume, then I think that could be a great addition to a ball club that if you play the 162, and to your point of what you said about it's going to be different this year because it's 162 versus 60, you know, maybe that could be a plus for the athletics for him to come back, and let's hope that's the case. Have you ever seen somebody – essentially not play for two years (laughs) and then come back and it's like, he looks like the guy. I mean, that that bad day in the uh, inning was fabulous. I mean, Jed looks like Jed. Have you ever seen somebody take that much time off? What do you have? Like seven or six at bats or wherever it was? No, 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 I've never seen that Tony. You know, I had an experience. I missed uh, 1978 the whole season. At my first at bat in spring training, 1979, I hit a home run. I, that was it. It was all downhill after that, you know. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I hit it off Vita Blue because I was with the Brewers and hit it off Vita, and that was it. I mean, you know, I, I didn't get a lot of at bats, but but you know, for what Jed is doing, and, and you know, he's playing in the field at, at a key position. But you know what I was thinking about today, and I was thinking about yesterday, and what we've talked about before when the trade of Chris Davis was made, as he is the designated hitter. So Bob Melvin uses Jed Lowry as a DH. He uses Canna as a DH. You know, so you can rotate, especially day game after night game or, or a night game before a day game, and you can manipulate the, 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 uh, the lineup to be able to utilize the designated hitter to help guys. Now look at the Dodgers in this three-game series. They let three guys be the DH, and it's almost like a rest for them, even though it's early in the season. But still, that's what National League teams could do. Well, Jed Lowry. I've never seen somebody miss the time that he has missed and come back. But see, Jed has been the type of hitter, while he has power, but he's very selective. He knows the strike zone, and he uses the whole field. He's a switch hitter, very good from both sides. But you're right. What he did in the 10th inning uh, to foul off tough tough pitches and to draw the walk uh, made an exceptional at-bat. And so far in the first seven games, I've never seen anybody play the way he has after missing as much time as he did. It's a, yeah. it's a great, it's a great acquisition for the athletics, you know, and, and, you know, he's happy. As he said, I'm home. 
And, you know, what more could you ask for? It was the fact that probably the mental side, if he'd gone to another club and the expectations were such, but since he had been here a couple of times before, everybody knew what he was capable of doing. And maybe he had the, um, you know, the flexibility from the organization to have him start on the backfield in Mesa and then gradually work into playing during the major league games in spring training. So it worked out well, but it's all about Jed Lowry and what Jed's capable of doing. And it's been remarkable watching him because, you know, who knew what was going to happen to this ball club if, if Jed had not been acquired and if Jed was not playing the way he is right now. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been very impressive. And uh, the fact that, you know, he's the type of guy that, Bob immediately can start putting back whether he's hitting second or he's hitting third. Yeah. It's just, uh, it, it, it's starting to smell like comeback player of the year. If he really hits, you know, your guy, Sean Murphy, uh, you know, he's got so much talent, but he's really struggling right now just to make contact. I like the walk that he took late, but what advice would you give to him offensively? Well, I think kind of the biggest thing for, for Murph is to be able to be healthy enough to play every day. He had the lung collapse in spring training, you know, so he missed a good portion of spring training. He comes back, he gets hit on the right hand. And so little things like that, if, if he could be back there and play and see, I think an everyday catcher to me is about 125, 130 games, which gives the backup catcher essentially one game a week to play 26 week season. And if you do the math, you're looking at about one game. You're looking at a day game after a night game giving your everyday catcher the full 48 hours rest before he catches again. But I think if Murph stays healthy, he's going to get clicked in just like Matt Chapman did today. But see, I think still, if he can do the job behind the plate defensively, block balls, throw, do the things there, handle the pitching staff, then the hitting's going to come. He, he's an offensive catcher, but his catching is the most important thing for him and this team and especially with the young pitchers, for them to be on the same page, to work together. But his hitting's going to come. But, Tony, you have to play this game consistently. You, you can't miss time, and especially to come back and have it all be working for you. You remember when he caught Manaya in spring training the first game, and Manaya threw a lot of pitches in the dirt? He said, you know, that was great. I realized my timing was off from blocking balls in the dirt. See, it's all about timing, whether it's hitting, throwing, blocking balls, Anything you're doing behind the plate is a matter of timing. And if you get the timing down, then everything is relaxed for you. When Maldonado was catching McCullers on Saturday, do you see how much he was bouncing around behind the plate because McCullers was all over the place? As a major league pitcher and a catcher, you don't expect your pitcher to be all over the place. You're sitting behind the plate, kind of relaxed, giving the target. But when you have to start jumping around, you're saying, oh, my gosh. You know, I call a pitch down and, and down and away, and it's, it's up and in or over my head. What am I going to do? So, you know, it becomes a very tense job of trying to catch. But Murphy's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. And uh, I, I think it's just a matter of if he can stay healthy, we're going to see the Sean Murphy uh, that we've seen. We saw last year, especially towards the end of that abbreviated season and a postseason. And we're going to see the outstanding catcher that everybody has expected to see in Sean Murphy. We're having Steve Sparks on next. He wants to say hello for you. Steve Sparks is a good man, the knuckleball pitcher. And uh, I remember talking to him last year. I said, Sparky, how are these baseballs? He said, I'm glad I don't have to pitch because, see, a knuckleball pitcher uses the fingernails. And the baseballs were so hard. He said, I couldn't put my 
I couldn't put my fingernails in the in the cowhide. It was so hard. So now he's a good man. He he's had a good career um, as a player and now as a broadcaster. And I, I think um, you know he he's very honest in everything that he does and everything that he says. So give him my best. And um, you know, well that's not traveling. Actually, we left today and the elevator operator said, "Hey, have a good road trip." And I said. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> We're going to stay right here. You know, we're going to San Francisco and do the games in the studio and then uh, back to the Coliseum. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And we all just have to make these adjustments. And, uh, I, you know, I still, in, in closing, I think today's game was huge for the athletics. And the most important thing I heard and saw today, especially heard, was the excitement that you had, like it's winning the seventh game of the World Series. And he is a world champion because you were, you were at the top of your game in your post game because you were excited. And that's something that uh, is always nice to hear from you. You are the best, my friend. We will talk to you tomorrow on the pregame. Look forward to it, Tony. Have a good evening, buddy. Best to you, Cody. Bye, Ray. The face of the franchise. See you, Ray. Coming up next, we're going to talk to the knuckleballer right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. All right, welcome back to A's Cast Live. Commander Cody and Chris Townsend here after the A's thrilling 4-3 win, their first walk-off win of the year in 2021 against the World Series champion Dodgers. Trevor Bauer on the mound today. Looked great, but wasn't good enough because he couldn't go the distance. And the Dodgers' uh, bullpen let them down like it normally does. You caught me mid-bite. It's been a long day, man. We've been working all day long. Do we have Steve? Steve, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the A's. I'm doing great. You guys had a long day, didn't you? Yeah, we had a long day. And, and, and boy, did we need a victory. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling, man. Sometimes those droughts can feel like they last a, a month long. I, I got to tell you, I mean, it, it the way we were rooting on today, you would have thought it was like the seventh game of the World Series. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Just get, to get off the snide, can you imagine some players who start off over, you know, 19 to begin the season, how badly they're begging on every fly ball that they hit that somebody will trip? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we and we had that. I mean, finally today, some guys broke out, and hopefully, it's going to help. I and and I think for you, how nice is it going to be to have baseball in front of you to call instead of being off a monitor? Yeah, these monitors, you know, and I, I don't want to gripe about our jobs because our jobs are nothing. You know, they, they're they're fun and it's a great job, but it's difficult. It's so much harder. Uh, to do what we do uh, off of these monitors. So I'm anxious to uh, have everything in front of us where we can see the uh, uh, the umpires, where the ball actually is, and uh, where the runners are on scoring plays and things of that nature. So it's going to be fun, and plus it's going to be fun to have 50% capacity at Minute Maid Park tomorrow. So I, I think a lot of the fans are chomping at the bit to get back into uh, a stadium and root for their team. No doubt. And we had Blummer on when we uh, hosted you guys the first time around. And, you know, just talking about, you know, the Astros and the swagger's back. And that's the one thing I think we noticed. And I think people down in Anaheim, whether you're booing them and you're calling them cheaters, just tell us what you've seen with this team so far this year. 
Well, what I've noticed is they, and they flipped the switch going into the playoffs last year, and I've never seen a team be able to do that. And you guys witnessed it firsthand that, you know, they looked dead, and you guys saw them toward the end of the season, too. They looked like they were beat. They didn't look like they had any life in them. And when the playoffs started and they played Minnesota, and then they played uh, the A's in the division series, and even Tampa, the way they stormed back in that series, <clears throat> I just couldn't believe that they were able to turn on that switch the way, the, the way they did. And I felt like there was a few players, and we talked about this last year, Chris, that you know there are certain players that, that wear their emotions on their sleeve a little bit more, maybe a little more sensitive, that were embarrassed and ashamed, and maybe, maybe fought with bouts of depression to a degree, uh, and it showed on their play in the field. But they got to spring training, and it, and it looks a little different. You know, I think, I think the playoffs uh, kind of catapulted uh, this team into to what we're seeing right now. And, and uh, I think with all the booing and, and all the jeers, uh, it's going to keep them pretty darn focused, uh, even through some of the, the lulls of the season. Yeah, and it, it's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully the A's can get back in this thing and really, really have that battle because, you know, as much as everybody's always going to talk about Red Sox and Yankees, now the chic one is Dodgers, Padres. I don't think naturally mm-hmm. people understand how good this rivalry is between the Astros and the A's. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of players on the A's that used to be Astros and, and vice versa, and it just feels like, you know, they've had some dust-ups and they've had a lot of uh, comments uh, post-game that uh, have kind of riled the other team. And uh, there's, there's been a lot of hit-by-pitches. And it, sometimes you're scratching your head and you're wondering, was that on purpose or not? But it, it's made for a lot of drama. And that's what we need in the game. And I think it's fun. I think this rivalry is really good. Uh, and I think o- Oakland, you know, and I played for the A's. And, and I understand where they are. And I know how passionate the fan base is. And I love them. And it's one of my favorite stops ever because of their fans. But they're, they're on a shoestring budget. And the Astros aren't, but their rosters are similar in this, Chris. And it's going to show its ugly head at some point. And it's going to be really evident to you guys when you see it is that they are wafer thin as far as their depth goes, especially when you look at their starting lineup. Pitching, I think that they they develop pitchers really well. And we saw a million guys roll out there in spring training that look like they're major league ready. But as far as their position players, it's an, it's an amazing drop-off to anybody if somebody gets hurt in their lineup. Well, I got to tell you, you know, the, the, the core guys, though, just wear us out. And Michael Brantley, I mean, if he played against the A's every day, he'd have a plaque in Cooperstown. I mean, we really well, – we, we can't get that guy out. I got news for you, Chris. There, there's 10 other teams that say the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. I mean, he does that all the time. And you guys were saying the same thing about Altuve a few years ago, too. I mean, you could not get him out, especially in Oakland. So, uh, you know, guys stick out for, for what they're able to do. And I think a lot of it has to do is the outfield seems so large at the Coliseum that Brantley, who goes line to line, just looks like he just puts the ball exactly where he wants it, like he's hitting off of a tee. Yeah, he's such a special talent. You know, one of the big stories uh, at the start of the season was 
Carlos Correa turning down that 120. And then we're dealing with uh, Lindor turning down 320 million and eventually signing for around 340. Did you ever think in your career you 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 would before a player you'd see guys turning down hundreds of millions of dollars? You know, we were saying this back then. I, I remember, you know, it, there was conversations in the clubhouses and the dugouts when Cecil Fielder was the first three million dollar man. And then so and so's the next, the first four million dollar man, and now we're seeing thirty million dollar contract for eight or nine years, like it's like it's nothing. So um, I'm not surprised. I, I don't know where it'll end, but I do know that it's going to end at some point because of the luxury tax threshold, and because of that, it's going to be an artificial barrier for teams to go absolutely nuts with five of those types of contracts on any roster. So you're going to have to pick and choose maybe one or two that you can do that with. And the Astros have an extension with Bregman and Altuve in place right now. That's why it probably doesn't make sense to, to sign Springer to that huge deal or Correa. Uh, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to pony up uh, at, at some point here pretty soon with, with uh, some more of these guys. We knew this, you know, uh, a lot of teams, uh, the Royals had a lot of free agents come, come to fruition at all the same time. So there is a quick halt. And what the Astros tried to do and, and, and what they were saying is they felt like they could sustain a pretty good team for a while if they laddered some of these stars coming to the big leagues year after year so they weren't becoming free agents at the same time. So each year they're going to have to make a decision or two at this point to see if there's relevance there. What do you do as a front office if you know this guy wants – I don't even know what he wants. He turned down 120. So I don't know if he wants over two. I don't know if he wants three. You got the trading deadline coming up. And if you think you can't afford him and he's going to walk, could it be a point to where maybe you could potentially trade him before the deadline? Because you probably could get a lot for him. Yeah, I think so. But it's a, it's a rental at that point. And the Astros are hoping that they're in the race, you know, at that, at that stage. So why would you want to get rid of, you know, uh, yeah. arguably your team leader? He, I mean, he really is. I think he's their team leader. He's the most vocal. Uh, he's the most eloquent in all of that. But it's really hard, Chris, to commit a really long-term contract to somebody who hasn't played more than 110 games uh, very often. You know, there's just always something uh, that happens with Correa, and uh, twice it, it's happened with his back. And when you're talking about a six foot four shortstop at the age of 26 or 27 years old, you worry about it when they have back issues. And, and you know, the guy that started out really well, and he's always fun to watch. And, and I know you as a former pitcher, you appreciate, and we've talked about, we think he is a future hall of famer, uh, Zach Greinke, mm -hmm. the way he has started yeah. out, how much fun has it been watching him so early in the season, but to watch him just, slice and dice people yeah that's what that's what i look forward to more than anything is uh getting a chance to watch him every fifth day i i kind of smile just when i wake up that morning because I, I know i get a chance to go watch something that we used to watch and, and what's fun about it is it's somebody who changes speeds on all of his pitches and, and he's not going to be a cookie cutter in his approach every game so you can't really game plan for a pitcher like zach grinky and i think the biggest reason why chris is because he's so athletic 
And I think Dylan Bundy's like this to an extent with the Angels. He's an athlete too. But I think they read swings real well, and they can see what somebody's trying to do. And if they feel like somebody's trying to pull the ball, say, a right-hander against them, then they're just going to tease them away, you know, throw sliders away. And, you know, they can prey on guys' weaknesses because they can read swings real well. Yeah, it's called pitching. And it's like now yeah. it's like everybody is just – everybody's a thrower. Everybody wants to get up there, and everything they throw is hard. It's as hard as you can with your fastball. It's as hard as you can with your breaking ball. And then all of a sudden, Zach Grinky gets up there. It's like it's, it's like watching pitching again. It's so refreshing. Right. So, so if everybody's going to go out there and throw as hard as they can now and they get you five innings, isn't that going to devalue the starting pitcher? I mean, why are these contracts so exorbitant for these starting pitchers when they're not averaging seven innings a game anymore? They're averaging more like five and a third, and it's putting more of the uh, impetus on, on the bullpen. Why, why aren't they getting paid a little bit more because of it? Well, doesn't it make you want to throw up in your mouth when you see, like, oh, the guy's getting taken out in the fourth inning with, like, 70 pitches? You're like, really? Right. Yeah. And they're taking off their hat and pointing up to the sky and – uh, on their way into the dugout. I know that drives uh, the Astros pitching coach nuts. Um, you know, and he's looking for guys. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, who, who they got uh, during the spring, is scheduled to make his first start on April 13th. So that's around the corner, and he's more of a pitcher's type pitcher uh, who, who should probably uh, eat innings. And I think eating innings is, is going to garner uh, – a lot of good results for teams who can get two or three of their pitchers to eat some innings. Well, my whole problem when people say wins for starting pitchers don't matter anymore, my problem is this. It's like, okay, you go four, you go five, and then all of a sudden you're expecting all these different relievers to cover all these innings and you're expecting, I mean, if you have like, let's just say five relievers in the game, to ask all five to be great on that night and not to have at least one of them screw up, I mean, that's right, the that's it. That's, that's, that's the best point, Chris. I mean, that's, that's what you're asking for every one of them to come through and be at their best in a close game. And, and that's asking too much, I, I think, especially to be consistent. So, you know, it's weird what they're going to have to do this year if they're going to have – eight relievers say they're going to have to have at least three of them that have options left. You can't have veterans down there all the way through because you're going to have to shuttle these guys back and forth between the alternate site and AAA all season long to be able to uh, mop up all the innings you're going to have to. Brent Strom, the pitching coach for the Astros, added it up uh, when he had all the pitchers that pitched for the Astros last year, and if you increase their uh, percentage of innings by 30% this year, you'd still be 400 innings shy of what you needed to, to do to cover a, a season. You know, when I was a kid growing up in San Diego, there was a San Diego School of Baseball, and Brent Strom was one of the owners. Yeah. And he was a part of it with, like, Bob Cluck, and then later, like, Tony. Alan Glenn Trammell. Trammell was there. And, uh, yeah, yep. Trammell's a good friend of my brother. They play golf. Um and I think about Brent, and I think about his age, but I think about how he is aged, and he's aged with the analytics. He's he's aged with the data. I mean, just talk about what an incredible pitching coach he is. That 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 he has just evolved with the sport, and that what that's what makes him so special. Yeah, you know, and he was an innovator a few years ago when you were talking about pitchers pitching at the top of the zone. 
once we started to notice everybody was trying to elevate the baseball and Brent Strom knew a year or two before that, that there was going to be a gigantic uh, upswing in pitchers who were able to, to land pitches in the top of the strike zone. You know, what's funny about that is he's so creative, Chris, that it's not just the fastball up there. When we saw Garrett Cole and, and Justin Verlander, you would think that they were mistakes but they were by, by design throwing sliders up and away to hitters just because of the uppercut. Everybody's got this exit velocity and the launch angles in the back of their mind to get the ball up in the air. So why throw sliders low? They're throwing sliders up in the zone, and it was working like like a charm. So uh, I can't say enough about Brent Strom. He's got two assistant pitching coaches right now. Uh, but, man, he's got more energy and more knowledge than anybody put together right now. And what the Astros have coming through their farm system right now, as far as arms, and we see it in spring training, it's unbelievable how many guys can spin it uh, and, and do all the things that, that deviates from the standard of other pitches that makes them special. You mentioned Verlander. Do you have any idea the timetable on him? Will we see him at all this year? I can't imagine him starting. I can imagine him coming in and getting an inning or two, but I can't imagine him getting ramped up enough to, to make a difference at the end. Now, in the back of his mind, he's probably wanting to show teams because he's going to be a free agent that he's healthy, and he's probably going to press the issue and try to get back as quickly as possible. But he didn't have Tommy John surgery until September last year, and that's typically at least 12 months, and it's usually closer to 14 to 16 months until uh, somebody recovers from that fully. So let's end on this. You know, one thing that we noticed, and I, I know with Jordan, uh, Dusty said once he, he knows his knees are healthy, he'll move them up in the order. Well, he looked real healthy against us. And I'm just wondering, you lose Springer, you hate that, but now you got Alvarez. Has he kind of filled that void so far? I think the, the void's going to be filled by the underperformance of all four infielders last year to a pretty large degree. I think that that's where you start. And I think Jordan, uh, he's a force. I think he's one of the best hitters in baseball. I put him up there with Juan Soto and Acuna and Mike Trout, just a notch below. He's not up there, but he's close. When you look at the approach, the ability to hit the ball to all fields, the power, uh, he's the whole package, I think, as far as just an opposing figure in a lineup who makes everybody else better. But I think it starts with the four infielders. They all had brutal years last year, and I think you can expect all of them to have better years this year. Well, it's always great having you on, and I said this to Blummer, too. I can't wait till you guys come back out to Oakland. I mean, that's kind of been the toughest thing about COVID-19 is that none of us have been able to see each other. That's it, yeah. We, we, miss, we miss you guys. We love coming to the Bay Area. Uh, I love the stadium even, you know, a lot of people knock the stadium, but I love everything about uh, the fans there, the team. I, I think the world, I think Bob Melvin's the best manager in baseball. Uh, it's always fun to be around him and, and Korak and Catronio and Fossey, all those guys. Uh, it's a blast. So uh, hopefully, you know, second half of the season, uh, we'll, we'll get a trip out there and uh, we can be doing this live. Yeah, well, we just had Fossey on before you, and he wanted us he wanted us to tell you to say hi. Well, hey, have you shaken hands with him lately? Oh, oh at 74 years old, it's still a death grip. That is no fun. That's like uh, sausage fingers. 
<laughs> well, be well, be safe, and uh, let's talk soon. Sounds good, Chris. Take care, man. Former Oakland Athletics, Steve Sparks, now doing radio for the Houston Astros, and what a great guy he is. Uh, I love that he said, uh, I mean, you know I'm a big Jordan Alvarez guy, but, I mean, to put him up there with so- uh, Soto and Acuna and Trout. No mention Mookie Betts, though. It's a little, uh, little that uh, rise my, raise my brow a little bit. No, no love thrown towards Mookie, but. Well, he's not got to list every great player in the game, for God's sakes. Well, I mean. M- Mookie. Mookie with the back out today. I know. I, I don't know. It's uh our Dodger fans panicking about him and Bellinger both being hurt. I mean, that's kind of those two guys not playing was they're still so talented that they didn't. I mean, they almost won the game without them. But that's what happens when you have a forty million dollar pitcher on the mound getting ten strikeouts. But they also have guys like I, I think Chris Taylor is a, an underrated player, and he's been doing this for years with the Dodgers. He's a guy that he's kind of came out of nowhere for them. The Mariners kind of just cast him off, and he uh, comes to the Dodgers, and he's just one of those guys like Max Muncie. That they kind of find a role for him, and, and he and he thrives in LA. And the A's have done that with players before too. They, they have two starting catchers. Yeah, Barnes and Smith. Both guys are good. Both guys rake. Most teams would love to have either or. They got two. They got two starting catchers, like two legit starting catchers. Also, the one, Dodgers roster is stupid good. And, and uh, one of their best prospects is wait for it, a catcher and Kevin Ruiz. So. Like, I mean, all these people that were pumping the Padres, it was like, these guys are so, if they could just find a real closer, like a lockdown guy, they're unbeatable. They're unbeatable. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the the, the Friars, uh, worry about beating the Giants at home, and then you can start talking about how we're going to challenge the Dodgers. Your four and three homestand's not a good start to the year when you're supposed to be, you know, the almighty team behind the Dodgers in the National League. And Blake Snell, I mean, he pitched okay in his first start. He got pulled early after four and two-thirds. And in the fifth inning today, he only had like 80 pitches. They had a guy warming up in the bullpen already for him. As, yeah. as we told – I can't remember if it was Dwayne Stats or Dave Wills told – I think it might have been Dwayne Stats told us. He he just doesn't – he never goes long in games. He's never been like that with the race. That was his, always his thing. Like, getting you Darvish was great for the Padres, but watching Blake Snell, he's not going to go long for you. It's it's unfortunate. And he's always going to have a high pitch count. So – and, and then the the Fernando Tatis Jr. injury is just, I, I mean, that's troubling for them. They're saying it's not going to be surgery, that he doesn't need it. That's what A.J. Preller's saying. But, I mean, I don't the way he swings the bat, you're, you might be better off just letting him have surgery. The guy can't stay healthy either. Can I make a prediction? Is it bold? There or will, is it, huh? Is it a bold prediction? Yeah. I'm going to make a big, bad, bold prediction. At some point. Coming up here, there will be major friction between Trevor Bauer, Dave Roberts, and the front office. They like to pull guys early. This is the guy that said he wants to pitch every four days. If you're going out there and he's got 105 pitches and you're pulling him, he's not going to be cool with that. Trevor Bauer is not a pitch count guy. He's not your Blake Snell. He, you know, I don't know how DeGrom allows it, but Trevor Bauer, if you're trying to take him out before he's ready to come out, purely because of pitch count, he's going to take umbrage and go on Twitter, and he's going to let Dave Roberts know, and it's going to be public. I'm telling you, like today, 
I think, okay, second start of the year. But if you're doing this in July, like he's at 92 pitches and you're like taking him out, I think he's going to have major issues with that. Okay, so I pulled up his numbers from last year, and he made 11 starts. How many starts did Trevor Bauer uh, go over 100 pitches? He made 11 of them. Made 11 starts. How many did he go over 100? I'm going to say 9 to 10. He made 10 of the 11 starts he went over 100 pitches. Here's the numbers. 105, 111, 103, 97, 109, 112, 100, 112, 105, 107, 104. So 10 of the 11 starts he made last year on his way to winning the Cy Young in the National League, 10 of those t- starts he threw over 100 pitches in them. And he's always been a guy that leads the league in, in um, I think, pitches thrown, too, for starting pitchers. He's always yeah, been you like can't, that. You can't be big-mouthing about you want to pitch every four days, and then all of a sudden you're going five innings and you're being taken out. I mean, that's just not – that's not going to play with a guy like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to count up his uh, – it looks – it's well over – I think it's over 20 starts in 2019 that he did – he had over uh, 100 pitches thrown. There was one of them where he had 127. Some teams, they think it's his arm's going to fall off. His arm's going to fall off. That's not a lot. That – 120 pitches is not a lot. I don't know I, – I don't know how everybody became like, what, something's wrong versus pitch 101 versus 125? I mean, Trevor Bauer is built for endurance and built to pitch. Like, I just, the Dodgers baby and their pitchers, I just don't see it. I don't see that going over well. I agree with you. And I looked up DeGrom just because we always we always bring him up. He made 12 starts last year. How many starts did he go over 100 pitches in 2020? Three. Seven. So there's still five starts where he didn't go over. He didn't go over 100 pitches. So, I mean, it's. The way you know, you should never win a Cy Young award. Then you should never win a Cy Young award. If you're going five, six innings, and you're going less than a hundred pitches, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. No, I don't. I don't care what your ERA is. I don't care what your data is. Your analytics. You should not win a Cy Young award. Uh, I, I did like today seeing that that Bob and Emo trusted uh, Jesus Lazardo after the rocky first inning to go out there and work out of jams and everything and have over hundred pitches. It was the first time he's won over hundred pitches in his major league career, obviously, because he's made a lot of starts, but that was a good thing to see. I know he went five and a third, but still he had over 100 pitches, so that's that's a good thing to see going forward because now you have him go. Um, you see him go that many innings, and you saw how many innings uh, Chris Bassa went last night. Maybe the starters are starting to build up a little more. I know it's still really, really early, but there is one good thing from today. The A's are now uh, – let me pull up the old stats that I have on the A's. The A's with that home run today. The A's are now one in one and two in games they hit a home run. So let's keep that let's keep that stat going. Well, it was just nice to see Chapman go yard, and then after that, get the base hit. Yeah, that was that. That was you know to be able to tie the game, but just to see his stroke, see him make good contact, you know, get some confidence. That that was good to see. Yeah, and, then, and also seeing Seth Brown get called up, get a chance to play, and then robbing Austin Barnes, uh, the Dodgers starting catcher. Well, he was DHing today, actually. Uh, rob, to rob him of a, of a home run was awesome to see. Um, great interview. We, we pulled for him because he, he was probably the best power hitter for our good friend Fran Reardon down there in Vegas in 2019. 
Uh, he was one of several guys for the Aviators that hit over 30 home runs in 2019. But it's good to see him make some plays when he's getting his chance. Still without a major league homer, but he was able to drive in runs his first year, and, and he had some productive. Potentially, do you think that ball was out that he robbed today? Yeah, it it was over the it was over the wall for sure. It, it looked it was over the wall. Yeah. We got to get into this tomorrow. It was a great catch though. It was a great catch. Oh no, I agree. And we got to go over this tomorrow. Maybe. Uh, well, we have two short shows the next two days too. But Hembo broke down the uh, data on the uh, as Buster's calling it the mush ball because there's balls that are, look like they're flying out of the ballpark and they're getting caught in uh, you know short center field, short right field. So. The ball is different, according to the data Hembo found. So we'll, we'll have to get into that tomorrow. I don't know. Ball, ball seems to be flying out in our games. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know. Uh, what, the A's have how many home runs now? Is that is it three or four? Three. No, they have three but home the, runs. <laughs> but the other team, uh, they're not having a hard time. Yeah, no, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe they're seeing the ball better. Uh it's troubling, but hey, they got their first win, and that's you got to build from there. And it's going to be tough against Houston, but you're not again. You're not facing Zach Granke. You're facing Urquidy and Mark and McCullers and uh, Christian Javier. I think Javier's tomorrow, actually. So, what's uh, what time are we on tomorrow? We're on at three, so we're going to be on from three to about four o'clock. Same with Friday as well. And we are taping tomorrow. David Forrest and Bob Melvin. Yeah, so we're going to have both those podcasts updated. And uh, I don't know if we're going to run both of them tomorrow on AceCast Live, but maybe we do. Maybe we save one for Friday. But unless something happens in the game tomorrow and it's like, oh, that's a little dated. Uh, are both shows Thursday and Friday from 3 to 4? Yes. And you're, I told you yesterday, but I'll, the request is in for the great Tory Lovello for uh, a Monday when we play the Diamondbacks. So – We'll see if we get our good friend for the third straight year. Yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. All righty, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. We'll be back tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Enjoy A's Cast after a great great win today. 4-3, to a final in 10. Take care, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.